And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast as we head into Thanksgiving. Hopefully this podcast helps some of you survive what is traditionally not the best travel day of the year. Uh, We are going to start in the Eastern Conference. We had technical difficulties with our guests, so you're just stuck with me for the first part of this podcast. The Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks highlight the next five days in the NBA as we all eat our turkey and some of you normal people watch football, I guess is what people do on Thanksgiving. I do not do that, but I, I hear that that's a thing. But Boston, Milwaukee, Wednesday night, our first clash of the Titans in the East, the two teams who revamped their rosters in very, very dramatic ways, centered around Drew Holiday, who gets his first chance at a revenge game against the Bucks. now that he's a key starter and glue guy and just the perfect guy, the perfect guy for any good team. Drew Holiday. By the way, one of my biggest mysteries that I'm still trying to solve is I self-ban on talking about James Harden and the Clippers for at least a week and now break that ban is what did the Clippers offer for Drew Holiday? Did they throw everything in the kitty? Because that guy would have been obviously the perfect fit. I hope to solve that for me and for you in the next couple of weeks. But the Drew Holiday revenge game is here in the Bucks. Before we talk about the Celtics' alarm bell loss last night in Charlotte to the Mighty Hornets, LaMelo Ball playing really well, by the way, in in some ways. Defensively, it's it's still a little scattershot, let's say. The Bucks sneakily 10-4. and four. It's been a little raggedy. Defensively, they're 24th. That's not going to be good enough. Now, they are getting absolutely roasted on mid-range jumpers, so, so perhaps there's some bad luck baked into their defense. I, I, obviously, we all know that they kneecapped their perimeter defense in the Dame trade. Um, and Chris Middleton has been in and out of the lineup. We all knew that this would be an issue. But with Giannis and Brooke Lopez, two of the 10 best defensive players in the league, and Brooke Lopez, ever since the players had a quiet mutiny against Adrian Griffin's revamped defensive scheme and went back to the Brooke Lopez, you hang back in the paint. That dude is like obliterating everything around the basket. You should have a defense that's better than 24th with just just those two guys like those two guys and three eh, perimeter players and it's, it's pretty eh right now you should be better than that but fourth on offense the Dame Giannis thing is starting to happen it's not always smooth against Dallas the other day and what was one of the best games of the season just most entertaining games of the season they ran 18 pick and rolls together that was their most in any game this season Dame has propped up the crunch time offense as expected the Bucks are scoring 125 points per 100 possessions in the last five minutes of close games. That's top five in the NBA. And Giannis, don't look now. All the MVP talk is Jokic, Tatum, Embiid. Are we doing the centers thing again? Is Luka button into it with the Mavs at 9 and 5? Giannis just out here being like, hey, I'm averaging 30, 10, and 5 again. Anyone? Anyone? 30, 10, and 5. I'm shooting 67% on twos. His his um, pick and rolls with Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis, the kind of you call them 4-5 pick and rolls, it's become like an unstoppable play. Everyone tries to go under it, and it's harder to do than it sounds like. You know, you want to go under and let Giannis shoot, but uh, they set the screen so low, and he's so fast that if you don't beat him to the spot, and even if you do sometimes, he's just going to roll through you to the basket. And if you switch, I there's just no center in the league. He's just so, gotten so good at sort of crisscrossing and slithering around slower centers for layups. And uh, the pick and roll he has with Connaughton as the screener has become a deadly play for him. And the in the and the four one pick and roll with him and Dame will get there. And now we finally get to see these two teams match up. Grant Williams is gone. 
Al Horford is still around. How and with whom? Al Horford's not starting. Are they going to start him in this game? The Boston kind of, kind of, kind of before the season talked about, hey, we might, we might have multiple starting lineups depending on matchups. That hasn't been the case. And in fact, their starting lineup is like laughably amazing. The best lineup in the NBA plus 104 in 176 minutes together. White Holiday, the Jays, and KP. 124 offensive rating, 96 defensive rating. Like, that's a joke. That lineup is so good. We'll talk about it in a second. That's a joke. How do the Celtics defend Giannis? How do Giannis and Brooke Lopez defend this five-out monster that the Celtics have built? One of the secrets of which is there's no, there's no like, eh, perimeter player that you can stash your center on if you want to have a wing guard Porzingis to take away his pick-and-pop threes and all that. Your centers just kind of have to guard Porzingis. Who are you going to put him on? Derek White, Jalen Brown? Like, Brooke Lopez is is a pretty malleable defender, but not like that. Um, and who's Giannis going to guard? You know, traditionally, the, the Bucks have liked to have him as a backline defender. Well, there's no backline with the Celtics. Everyone is around the three-point arc. He's going to have to guard a perimeter player. I think it's just a fascinating matchup, and we finally get to see it. The Celtics are a team... Um, I haven't talked about too much. So I want to, I want to start with them. Um, They are fifth in offense and third in defense. And I mentioned their starting five, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, They have the best net rating in the league plus 10.6 per hundred possessions. And lest you think that is just the product of their 41 point shellacking of the Pacers a couple weeks ago, they have blowout wins over the wizards. Fine. The wizards are hard to watch. It's not it's not great. Uh Raptors, they blew out. Knicks, they blew out. Philly, they won by 10 on the road without two of their starters. So they've got a bunch of impressive wins. And that third in defense, I'm guilty of it too. When we talk about the Celtics, we talk mostly about their offense. I'm obsessed with their offense. When I talk, when I watch the Celtics, I watch their offense more closely than their defense because I want to see. The spacing is sexy. The three pointers are sexy. No one shoots more threes than Boston. When it when it, we've seen it last year, when the when the threes are going in, it's like, oh my god, what are you going to do with this team? Are they going to set the league on fire? They have the best offense in the league. Jason Tatum's unbelievable, and he is unbelievable. I but we saw it last night in Charlotte. Like, are, is the crunch time thing solved? We'll get to that. Um, my big thing with the Celtics offense is the point of five out spacing, or one of the main points of it, is supposed to be. There's nobody in the paint. It's all just a runway to the rim. So go to the rim. Don't just settle, not settle, but it shouldn't just be all threes and threes, threes, threes. The point of five out chasing is to go to the rim. And that's what I'm always monitoring with the Celtics. What's the mindset? Are you aiming at the right defenders? And are you aiming at least a little bit more at the basket? So far, it's TBD. They're 21st in free throw rate, about where they were last year. They're 21st in the percentage of their shots that come at the basket, about where they were last year. They're 15th in offensive rebounding, which is a huge jump for them. It is fueling some of their offense at the basket. I think Tatum in particular, although his shot profile doesn't doesn't really reflect it, has been, with the exception of some overly difficult uh, Kobe Jordan fadeaways from the post and some heat checks and he had a million heat checks last night in Charlotte and he was hot I think he's been pretty diligent like remembering the point is the rim 
We've seen him split the pick and roll over and over again and get to the basket, in and out dribbles, get to the basket. I think he and Porzingis have been smart when they run their two-man game at not just defaulting to, well, the best thing is an open pick and pop three for Porzingis. When teams blitz it, JT is is kind of hitting uh, if Porzingis slips and Porzingis is rolling more, he he's looking for that interior pass. If the teams switch it, both of them, Tatum and Porzingis have been pretty diligent about, okay, how can we take this mismatch that both of us have and aim it at the rim? For Porzingis, that can be rolling. Like if you try to switch, I see the switch coming. I slip it. I roll ahead of the switch. Feed me the ball. I'm taller than everybody. Give me like the Wembenyama lob and I'll draw a foul at the basket. He's playing his most physical interior basketball of his career. For Tatum, it's, oh, I got a center on me. Let me resist the temptation every time to shake and bake step back three and just roast this dude and go to the basket. I think he's been pretty good at doing that. I think the quality of his passes um, has been his assists are down. To me, qualitatively, the eye test, his passing has been better and more productive and earlier and snappier and quicker. Um and in the fourth quarters of some of these games, including last night's game in Charlotte, which we will talk about, it was one of my favorite kind of regular season losses. One of my just, just the best, most delicious kind of loss. I Recently, they have been more, I, I would say, um, calculated in fourth quarters against Philly. Where's Tyrese Maxey? Let's bring him into the action with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Try to get switches. If you don't want to switch, you're going to get in rotation. Hunt the right guy. Last night, it was, where's LaMelo Ball? Bring him bring him up here. Put him in the action. They love that corner set where usually they have Porzingis set a pin down in the left corner. No one else on that side of the floor for Jalen Brown. And it's a great set for them, and it simplifies things for Jalen Brown. And he needs things simplified for him as a playmaker. Last night, they, they switched it up and put Hauser, who couldn't miss until last night, as the pin down guy, why? Because Hauser had LaMelo ball on him. That's the kind of stuff they're doing more in fourth quarters. And yet, the most delicious kind of loss. The most delicious. The Boston Celtics up 108 to 99 with two minutes left in Charlotte. Now, on a back-to-back, no Derek White, no Al Horford, I know. I know, Hornets are not very good. Up 108 to 99 with two minutes left. They proceed in the remaining seven minutes of the game, two minutes of regulation, five minutes of overtime, to score 10 points in seven minutes on 14 possessions. Uh, They also missed four huge high leverage free throws, including two by Drew Holiday with 10 seconds left that could have put them up by four and effectively iced the game. And it's the most delicious kind of loss because it just it's all that latent fear in New England fans and and. New England fans, it's just New England is just it's the the negativity is, is just simmering under the surface, the fear, the panic, the paranoia, all the lingering fear of, oh, my God, we melt down in crunch time. It was all shoved down this hot start, this starting five, this five out lineup. Oh, my God, it looks incredible. We're 11 and two. We're blowing the doors off everybody. We kind of forgot that we're a little worried about Joe Missoula. We're a little worried about our crunch time offense, which is which like, like it's latent can shove it down it all came back to the surface last night is this still a problem and that is my favorite kind of regular season loss because everyone starts to panic and seeps into the discourse about the team and it'll test the team but i went back because i am that kind of uh 
uh, nerd slash I have problems. I rewatched all of Boston's possessions this morning, uh, starting at that two minute mark. There are 14 of them. If you clump together uh, possessions in which they got an offensive rebound and, and kept the ball as, as one possession, there are 14. I went and charted all of them. And I decided as a dictator, whether they were good or bad possessions. And I decided that nine of them were good and five of them were bad. It didn't feel like that watching the game. And that's one of these things about crunch time, late game offense. The bad, it, it's particularly when the result is a loss, the bad just gnaws at your brain and like shoves the good out. And you just remember these horrible possessions that start with 10 on the shot clock. Like, why are we just walking it up? I know we're trying to kill time, but can we get into it with 15 instead of 10? Five bad, nine good. Unfortunately for the Celtics, the five bad centered around one player who, if I'm setting off alarm bells about the Celtics championship viability, and by the way, I picked the Celtics to win the championship, and I feel good about that pick. So let's just sort of color this discussion with that. My finals pick for the season was Boston over Denver. Um, I feel pretty good about that. Denver, by the way, can we just stop ejecting the stars? Jokic got tossed last night in Detroit, and the Nuggets still won because Detroit is just, it's not going great for the Pistons. It, anyone who could shoot would help. And yes, two of their best shooters, Monty Morris and especially Bogdanovich, are injured, but still. If I have to watch any more minutes than I didn't last night of Marvin Bagley and James Wiseman playing together, I am going to need a barf bag next to my laptop because it's just, I can't watch it. Okay, Celtics, 14 possessions, nine good, five bad. The alarm bells are this. The five bad, four of them center around one player who is right now maybe the most intriguing player in the league as as the sort of swing factor for a great team, and that's Jalen Brown, who I just don't think is playing very well. He is at, for the season, 21 points, five rebounds, three assists, two and a half turnover, so almost even assist to turnover, 44% overall. 34% on threes, 52% on twos. His handle somehow looks worse. Like every time he dribbles now, I'm nervous that something bad is going to happen. It doesn't matter if he's just bringing the ball up or if he's he's dribbling in traffic. It just, it feels almost worse. I don't know how it feels worse. So last night here, I'm going to go through the bad possessions. The first one, right? The 150 of the fourth quarter. No passes. The only pass on the whole possession is Drew Holiday hands the ball to Jalen Brown at the start of possession. They just drip, he just dribbles around for the next 10 seconds and takes a fadeaway jumper that misses. Awful, terrible possession. The next the next ones are fine. Uh, Jalen Brown gets a miss off a of Tatum pick and roll. There's an offensive rebound. Jason Tatum, Sam Hauser pick and roll. Jason Tatum misses a layup. He missed two layups in crunch time last night. Um. Then there's the holiday isolation that results in the free throws that he misses. That was a bully ball against Melo. That's fine. Then there's the last possession of the of regulation for the Celtics, which I dubbed a bad possession. It didn't involve Jalen Brown. Just a called isolation for Jason Tatum, because why would we have anything else in the bag except a called isolation for our best player? Charlotte doubles. What do you know? Charlotte doubles. Who could have seen that coming? Kick out to Sam Hauser. Contested three miss. We go to overtime. Then in overtime, Jalen Brown makes a floater. Jalen Brown... Pick and roll with Porzingis leads to a wide open Peyton Pritchard corner three 
on the swing. He misses it. That's fine. Jalen Brown then draws a foul in transition. One out of two from the line and eh, whatever. Tatum misses another layup on a pick and roll. Then we get back to Jalen Brown. It's a little pin down for Jalen Brown. I like it. It's good. He's got a gap. He's got he's staring at a diagonal gap. He can attack it off the dribble. The next play is staring him in the face. One hard dribble. You're in the lane. Drive, kick, boom. We got something. Instead, he stops and freezes. Okay, we got a reset now. Peyton Pritchard comes over to set a screen. I think it was Peyton Pritchard. Nothing really happens. Horrible kind of turnaround, fadeaway, yucky jumper at the foul line. It misses. Um, and, you know, after that, it it sort of devolves from there. Tatum hits a three at some point. And uh, the last, the second to last possession of, of overtime for the Celtics, Tatum, Porzingis, pick and roll. The Hornets blitz it. Kick to Jalen Brown. It's the right pass. Tatum makes the right pass. Floor's in rotation. We got two on us. Everything's everything's in chaos. Swing to Jalen Brown on the left wing. He's got Porzingis flashing open in the paint. Hands up. It's a tough pass. There's a defender in between Jalen Brown and Porzingis. Tough pass. And he's got Peyton Pritchard wide open in the corner right next to him. He passes to neither player, stops the offense, takes a three, and misses it. And then Tatum gets fouled at the end of overtime, misses one of the free throws, uh, Boston loses. My point is this. I'm worried about the way Jalen Brown has started the season. You, you can, it, it's it's hard to notice because the Celtics are 11-3 and three and he's averaging 21 a game and, and he is an incredible shot maker when he's rolling. He's one of the best transition players in the league and he's the master of this sort of like semi-transition backdoor cut on the baseline. I trust him in transition. Everything else just feels so forced right now. His shot selection is awful at times during all these games. Just so many difficult shots, hero shots. Like you don't need to be the hero in the second quarter of a game where we're up by 12. Just play. And as I watch Boston, other than health, and and we know they're thin, although Peyton Pritchard perked up last night and, and like had some bully ball drives where he was knocking people over. I was like, dude, Peyton Pritchard, what got into you? Sam Hauser's been making shots. Cornette's good. Horford's off the bench fine. I still have hope for Brissett. Celtics can make a trade and probably will make a trade for a seventh guy to fortify their team if they feel the need to. So other than health and just which is a concern for every team, Jalen Brown is like, I'm just watching him very closely because if he can't recalibrate his game and his shot selection the right way and it's off kilter like this, there are going to be playoff games in the muck of crunch time where he undoes the Celtics offense and the Celtics offense undoes itself late in these games. And, you know, look, as great as they are, your margin for error in the playoffs is pretty thin. You know, you'll have crunch time games that you'll win. You'll have crunch time games that you lose. That's the reality of it. That equation can't tilt too far toward wobbliness if you want to win uh, four playoff series. And last night it was was a bad crunch time for Boston, although not that bad. Like I said, nine of the 14, I would say, were good, productive possessions. And one of the five bad was the last one of regulation where they had seven seconds to work with. Most of those possessions are bad. So I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't panic about the overall crunch time offense, except it was too slow in Jalen Brown's um, shot selection. wasn't great. I will say, um, I will say, just in general on Boston, Drive and kick is the defining ethos of the Celtics offense. NBA offenses in general, it's been that way for years. That's fine. Like drive and kick, they, they take more threes than anyone. They're an incredible three-point shooting team. 
I, so, I just don't want kick, particularly for the Celtics with their five-out spacing, and they're just overall like Drew Holiday can get to the rim against smaller defenders. Tatum, Brown are powerful players. Derek White can get powerful when he wants to and kind of spin and wiggle his way in there. Porzingis is gigantic. I just don't want kick to be the default. Like sometimes when you're getting into the paint going north-south and there's a help defender coming, you have this moment where you're like, okay, the rote play is to kick it because the the help is coming and there's a three-point shooter over here. Sometimes I just like, just go, just go to the rim. Like let's good things will happen. If you go to the rim, sometimes it'll get blocked, but rim shots also equal offensive rebounds also equal free throws. Like even if the actual shot doesn't go in, there are all these other outcomes at the rim that are good and more stable than super high volume three point jump shooting. And that's always going to be the Celtics recipe. Lots of threes, 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 threes. That's how they're going to win. I get it. I'm talking like 10 possessions a game. Whether it's Jason Tatum with the center on him around the arc on a switch, rim. Drew Holiday driving to the basket. He had one last night where he was at the basket. He had t- there were two last night, two, where I think Drew Holiday was both of them. He was pretty much at the basket. And there was a help defender there in okay position to contest. On one, he forced it and drew a foul. And I was like, yep, that's what I want. Give me that. Give me the free throws. And I'm not talking about the 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 play where he ended up missing the two free throws at the end of regulation. It was a different one, although that is also similar. Uh, And then there was another one where I thought he had a nice shot at the rim and he kicked it out because that's what Boston's offense is supposed to. And I was like, man, just go up at the rim. That's all I'm saying. Just like I want, I'm monitoring that 21st in shots at the rim, 21st in free throw eight. I'd like to see those get a little bit higher. I like the 15th in offensive rebounding. Um, That's just, that's, and, and I think that is, when the Celtics offense melts down late in games, I think that's part of it is that that sort of thoughtfulness and attacking mentality drifts away and it just becomes either hero ball or we're going to kick until we get a three, which is fine. If it's an, oh, the, the threes that they get when they when the pass comes from inside the paint to outside, those are good threes and the Celtics are tripled down on those threes. Just I just like a little more rim, but their offense is obviously fine. They're fifth and their defense. Again, we don't talk about it as much because of all these issues they've had. I think their defense is absolutely legit. Porzingis has been incredible protecting the rim. We know what the what the big wings and guards can do. Derek White and Drew Holiday. It's like it makes me uncomfortable on behalf of offensive players watching them have to navigate these guys. Uh, and all the fundamentals are just off the charts good. They're second in opponent free throw rate, so they don't foul. They're fourth in defensive rebounding, which is outstanding for them considering they play pretty small. I think Tatum's gang rebounding in particular has been outstanding um, all season. And they are, I think, allowing the fifth fewest shots at the rim. Now, they had a couple defensive breakdowns too last night, by the way. Focus on the offense all you want. Jason Tatum got beat back door for a Gordon Hayward dunk. I think it was Tatum who missed a box out on Brandon Miller that led to a Gordon Hayward long two in overtime. But fifth fewest shots at the rim. They allow a lot of threes. But when you break it down, they allow the seventh fewest corner threes and a ton of above the break threes. And that's on purpose. And that's baked in to how the Celtics play. The way they drop Porzingis on the pick and roll, go over screens, and stay home on shooters, especially in the corners. 
you are going to allow a certain amount of pull-up threes by good shooting ball handling point guards. Some of them are going to be contested, and that's what you want every one of them to be contested. And you have Derek White, who's one of the best rearview shot blockers among guards like in recent NBA history. And you have Drew Holiday. Some of them are going to be uncontested because guys are going to get hung up on screens. That happens. And the Celtics are willing to live with that because even if – now, against Steph or Dame, and that's part of the reason this matchup is so fascinating, you can die by that too. Like, those guys are that good. Um, but it's the Celtics' defense is about playing the long game over 100 possessions every game. We don't think you can beat us just relying on above the break threes. That's why when they have an opportunity to put Porzingis on or Luke Cornett last night – on a non-threatening perimeter player like Bryce McGowan's last night was that guy for the Hornets or Ish Smith and just hang around the basket. That's all designed to take away defensive rotations that lead to corner threes. And they're good at the point of attack. Corner threes come when you beat the first layer of defense and a third guy's got to step up and help against the drive and you swing. And the Celtics are really good at that. I think this defense is absolutely legit. Top five defense. Doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think, in in our obsession. In mine, I'm guilty of it too. On their offense, a couple other things about the offense. Celtics isolations, 26.7 per 100 possessions. That's second in the NBA behind only the Clippers. Last year, that was at 20 per 100 possessions for Boston. So seven more per 100 possessions. The hero ball, that's what I'm talking about. And look. They're good at isolations. They rank 11th in efficiency out of isolations. 1.006 points per isolation. That's not good. That's like worse than their regular offense. That number should come down. And just the thing to keep an eye on. Tatum on the floor. 120 offensive rating, 104 defensive rating, plus 16 per 100 possessions. Tatum off the floor. Defense, 109. That's still quite good. Offense falls from 120 to 105. Again, Jalen Brown, spotlight. But it's not just Jalen Brown. In a lot of those minutes, Celtics have Brown, Holiday, and Porzingis on the floor. Or two of those three on the floor. And it's still kind of been a struggle for them. Um, Just something... Just something to keep an eye on. But I, I trust the defense and the offense is, is legit. I just, that loss last night in Charlotte, combined with like a not great performance in Memphis, um, uh, kind of, you know, we lived this movie last year when for the first month of the season, Boston's offense was totally unstoppable. And then reality hit. Well, reality hit a little bit the last two games. And again, this is still my pick to win the title. And I just can't wait for this game against a Milwaukee team that is starting to come into form uh, despite Jay Crowder being out, Middleton being out here and there. Marjan Beauchamp has been out the last few games. I Keep an eye on Marjan Beauchamp, by the way. Shooting well, particularly out of the corners. Has immense tools defensively. And the Bucs need someone to check that box of three-ish, D-ish wing. And Beauchamp maybe their their best shot. I mean, I wish Andre Jackson Jr. could shoot because I love watching that dude play. He's just an awesome playmaker in open space, awesome defender. They've given him chances. We'll see if it happens. But I, I can't wait for this game. Um, and, yeah, uh, Celtics, tough one last night. Overall, still looking good. Keep an eye on Jalen Brown. That's all I'm saying because I just, even on good nights, 
I haven't liked the eye test. Like the good nights feel like, okay, the, the, the tough shots fell tonight. And like, sometimes they'll fall. I want to count on that. And they're so talented that they shouldn't have to count on that. Okay. Let us stop talking about the Celtics and the Bucks and start talking about whoo, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have a college-age team, are 10-4 and four, and part of a rising group of young teams as the NBA teeters on a changing of the guard. We'll talk about that with Andrew Schlecht of The Athletic coming up now. All right, let's switch gears from the top of the East to the what the what the top of the West and talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder, 10 and 4, 7th in offense, 6th in defense, and in the vanguard, I feel like of it's a little early for sweeping generalities, but some of the old titans of the NBA, Clippers, not really a Titan, they're more like a they're not even a god. They're one level below Titans and gods. They're like the they're like Hercules, like the half mortal, half god. Lakers, Warriors, just kind of scuffling along, getting old. And here come. Well, when I I will say this, when I get, when I ask or get asked by people around the league, GMs, agents, coaches, who are the most interesting teams in the league for the next two to three years? Oklahoma City is default number one. Orlando is the other team that comes up all the time. And then with Indiana rising with Halliburton, Houston now six and six, they've figured out that life on the road is tough. It just feels like there's a little changing of the guard happening around the NBA, but the thunder who Andrew select from the athletic thunder guy, slam a jam podcast, national voice as well. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, it feels great to be here. I'm actually broadcasting from the classic factory the no dunks classic factory here in atlanta so uh it's overall just an amazing day shout out to my friend tass mellis who's been back at work uh, of late yeah. um after a scary um pedestrian hit by a car accident just the best uh shout out to his wife danielle who i've known for longer than i've known tass uh we will keep the context of that uh a mystery for people and it's a funny one <laughs> um love you guys uh the thunder Andrew, what is happening right now is completely unprecedented in the history of the NBA. If the Thunder are a 50-win team right now, today, and I I'm, I look to have been wrong about the Thunder. I was thinking 43 to 46 wins. Let's hit the, hit the breaks. Young teams just generally don't play this well. Not sure yeah. about their depth beyond Isaiah Joe, who's been unbelievable. Uh, part of it was the difficulty of projecting exactly what Chet Holmgren would be right away. And oh my God, Chet Holmgren is the rookie of the year right now over Victor Wembanyama. 10 games in, who cares, whatever. But this team, I look to be wrong. This team looks to be a 51 team, a candidate for a home court advantage in the West, a candidate for like the number two or three seed in the West, along with Minnesota, Phoenix, Denver, all that stuff. And there's never been a team this good good now with this many future first round. I mean, there's never been a team with this yeah. many for future first round picks anyway, but a team this good with this many chances to hit the home run of we're good. And Oh, we're picking third in the draft because of this pick that we have from whatever team gives it to us. It's never happened before. And 
let's just start with the team as of now. Seventh in offense, sixth in defense. I don't need to tell you because you're a Thunder guy that there's some shooting luck on both ends of the floor that's helping them a little bit. They're first yeah. in mate, they're first in three-point shooting, and their opponents have the worst mid-range shooting percentage and the fifth worst three-point shooting percentage in the league. So maybe some regression is coming. Maybe. But I'll tell you, man, that win over the Warriors in overtime over the weekend cemented it for me. There's something about this team. This team is good and fearsome, and they play. This is going to sound like a strange thing to say. They play with a maturity that is unusual for a team this young. And I'm not talking about, well, nope. Chet Holmgren made a big three. Shea Gillis Alexander, and he made a huge three. I'm still not sure how Chet Holmgren made that left corner three without stepping out of bounds. And Shea is a monster. Just the way they move the ball around, like just watch like little extra passes. They always know where the next link in the chain is. Like Chet's a good passer. J-Dub's a good, just like make the next. There's a certain maturity to them. I'm I'm surprised how good they are. And, and I want to start with you just sort of like, how good, like what's the expectations now? Just, just leave the team alone. Leave the roster as is. Like, I, how do, do we even talk about them? Yeah, I mean they're going to make the playoffs. It seems like if they stay on this oh, trajectory, done, done. They're in the they're in the playoffs, which is a huge step for one of the youngest teams in the NBA, and they're starting to really establish their style of play. They they have a ton of talent, but they're also more than the sum of their parts, which is really unusual for a young team. And I think not only do the Thunder draft players that are good size for position, their skill level is through the roof, but like psychologically, these guys are just different. Like they're unselfish. They play hard. They're tough as nails. It is just a really interesting group of guys. And they're just all genuinely good, easygoing people off the court. So like they, they have really done something with, not only like players they've acquired, like Isaiah Joe has been amazing for them. They acquired Kendrick Williams during the rebuild, but just drafting guys that are just tough nosed players, which I think is a huge part of what they're able to do right now. And, and genuinely like the unselfishness is going to be the thing that's going to carry this team because there are a lot of guys that could take a lot more shots if they were in a different situation, but they all seem pretty content to be where they're at right now. I mean, Chet, Chet's been amazing. He's only taken 10 shots a game. I mean, the guy has a lot left to give. And they are, uh, Mark Degnall calls it clearing hurdles. Like Chet continues to clear every hurdle that they put in front of him. And he's going to be the second, if not the best player on this team. Like I think we've seen enough to, to show that on both ends, he could be the most valuable player on the Thunder here in a few years. But as Ooh. they continue to unlock them, as they continue to unlock the Shea-Chet pairing, which is, what do you do? What do you do with those two? Shea can make any mid-range shot. He can get to the rim. He gets fouled. He's making 90% of his free throws. Chet can shoot from three. He can shoot from the mid-range. He's going to finish around the hoop. He did that in college. He's doing that in the league. I don't know what you do with those two. And then, not to mention, you got J-Dub on the wing, who is a killer scorer himself. He took over in the fourth quarter for the Thunder against the Warriors. He looks like he gained 30 pounds of muscle in the offseason. Like, like he was always kind of a big dude, but now it's like, is that like a linebacker? What? Like, he's almost, yeah. I almost voted him rookie of the year last year. I kind of, I, I kind of wish I had, speaking of which, rookie of the year, 
because of the I, just apropos of nothing and everything because of the thunder starts of the season just all the scouts are in new york a lot of scouts are in new york right now for college stuff so i've had a bunch of meetings chet uh-huh. versus paolo it, it's like chet versus wemby is the debate of the year the chet paolo revisiting the draft debate is a is a hot topic right now hot topic totally yeah. different context like rarely do sure. you get to be a big man who comes in with like oh i got a first team all nba guard feeding me i got josh giddy who's a passing genius feeding me i've got j dub who's a tank feeding me he's a pretty friendly um context but yes please continue yeah uh j dub told me that he posted a picture of himself like all bulked up during the offseason said that he got drug tested after he posted that picture because he was so big um he uh he does and and the the cool thing about him is like he's willing to take on whatever defensive assignment they hand to him and he's getting a lot. Like he's defended Zion Williamson this season. Like he's the guy to do that. And he's he's he looks improved. He looks like the game is slowing down for him quite a bit. And just his his mid range pull up is like it's a huge weapon for step the Thunder. Step back two, step uh, back threes, step back twos, step back threes. And his dunking. I mean, he is he's providing a lot for them. And he has a whole lot left to give as well. And that's going to be kind of the theme is that a lot of these guys have a lot left to give. And like, how do they establish that pecking order? Where are the sacrifices coming from? That's going to be like the number one thing on Mark Dignall's plate, which is a great problem to have. But they're going to have to figure that out as they go. And so far, so good. Uh, but yeah, this this young team is, it, it seemed impossible that they could have a young team that was as good as they were with Durant, Westbrook, Harden. And this is... Maybe they don't have the high-end talent like that team did. Maybe maybe they won't hit as... Like three like a, future MVPs on the same team? Like like three future MVPs, but the depth... Like Josh Giddy is a very good player. Kaysen Wallace is a very good player. They didn't have some of those pieces the first time around. So maybe the, maybe the top, top talent's not the same. But throughout the roster and like the picks that you mentioned, like they have a chance to be really special. The collective in a lot of ways feels easier than it did with that team. Like the the, yeah. the the way the pieces fit and amplify each other and have are all part of the same mentality of head down, go to the rim, and we have a big man who spaces the floor at all times. Yep. So we can invert the floor. You want to use Lou Dort as a screener and have him roll to the basket? Sure. You know, same same with all any combination of guards. All of them. Yeah, Zion tangent, since you mentioned Zion, and we're going to talk about the Kings a little bit. They got blown out on a back-to-back in New Orleans last night, which is notable only for the fact that it was the first time this season. I don't know if you caught any of that game. It was kind of an eh game. Yeah, Zion looked like Zion. For the first yep. time of the season, Zion was like, it was, maybe the second time, because he had another big game recently that I didn't see. It was like, oh, oh, there's nothing. Like Harrison Barnes might as well be me. Like it, it might as well be me trying to defend Zion Williams. There's nothing anybody can do. Um, just put that in it, like, and Ingram had a big game, a huge game actually. And they didn't, they didn't really work in tandem. It was more like you're hot than I'm hot. And you're hot when I'm off the floor and I'm hot when you're off the floor. The tandem stuff is still like, I don't quite know how they work together and that's fine. Um, but they had a big game together and like, okay, if Zion, if Zion is going to be Zion for 55 more games or 50 more games or whatever, like, you know, that team kind of got parked over here because half of it is injured now and always. 
and yep. they just like parked on the okay you know maybe they'll be 10th or 8th or 11th like eh, okay like maybe a better okay thunder you said a lot of interesting things Ken Rich Williams coming back is big for them and fortifies their depth. He's played a little backup center and a little bit backup four next to Chet. Isaiah Joe, what a goddamn heist. Like Sam Presti <laughs> just cracked the like did every job in the bank robbery, including driving the getaway car with Isaiah Joe in the passenger seat. Didn't even set off the alarm. No security guards were harmed in the robbery, just like the absolute perfect robbery. That dude, I said in one of my preseason columns, he could be a sneaky six man of the year ballot candidate. I don't know if he'll score enough yeah. points to like traditionally kind of win the award is usually like an 18 point a game, 16 point a game. You, their net rating with Shea, Chet, and Joe on the floor, they are plus 45 in 69 minutes. <laughs> Plus that's so absurd. 26 for 100 possessions. And I think that's somewhat about I, Isaiah Joe, but a lot yeah. about the power of put one great shooter mm-hmm. in place of any of the other starters. And it's like, oh, oh, and he's to Isaiah Joe's credit. He's gotten much better on defense and he's yep. gotten much better as like a pull up floater, like get into the paint, not on a high volume, but like kind of like the Duncan Robinson transition that's happening in Milwaukee. It's like he can make play or in Miami rather. He can make plays in the paint. And Gideon Case on Wallace, I'm glad you brought them up. Mm-hmm. Because there's been a lot of games so far where Josh Giddy has been the odd man out in the fourth quarter. And Case on Wallace has gotten some of those minutes. Yep. And he's been cool, like literally never getting the ball. Ever. Like he's yep. just like, can you just defend Steph Curry and will not pass you the ball one time and your usage rate for is 10%. He has a PJ Tucker level usage rate and he's a guard who handles the ball. And he's like, cool, I'm on I'm on the floor in crunch time. Like, don't pass it to me. I'm fine. It's been very, very interesting. Yeah, Kaysen has been great shooting the ball too. I mean, he's 62% from the field, 54% from three. When he does shoot, he's 100% from the free throw line. He's only taken a, a few. But when he shoots the ball, he's making it. And they they do a lot of interesting things with him. He's a screener a lot. He's in the dunker spot. He spaces yes. to the corner. He's doing a little bit of everything for them. And they feel comfortable putting him in weird spots. And this is something, this is like a Mark Degnall thing. They want to test all their guys. They did this with J-Dub early last season, where they want to put them in as many situations possible. And they're doing it with Casey Wallace right now. Mark Degnault has a serious affinity for this player. He really, really likes him. And he plays him a ton. And he, he started him in place of J-Dub the other night in Portland. This is a guy that is very highly thought of by the coaching staff. And he's showing it early on. He's not, you're right, he's not scoring a ton. But he's just efficient. He plays hard defense. And he's somebody that, we talked about like Chet, his role expanding. This guy's role can expand. There's a, He has a lot to his game. As a ball handler, he plays off ball. He can do just about anything. I think he's the shortest guy on the team. But they love to use him down low. They lo- he can finish around the hoop very easily. They love using around the hoop. Uh, that's that's been a a really big gift to Thunder fans because I think you obviously knew like Chet's going to come in. He's going to be a good addition. You know, Casey Wallace is taking tenth overall, but no one really had that many expectations for him, and he's quickly become like a fan favorite in Oklahoma City and a and a immediate regular in the rotation, including in crunch time, and a very good yeah. defense, tough defensive player. And you're right. Part of the reason the Thunder have a top 10 offense is, and by the way, 
something that's happened in the last week. They're now slightly positive with Shea off the floor. They're just plus four for the season, but that was like minus a lot 10 days oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So their offense is getting steadier even when he's not out there. And they put J-Dub and Chet out there together a lot of those minutes, so it should be stable. Um, but part of the part of it is you just kind of never know where anyone is going to be other than Shea, and sometimes including Shea when they use him as a screener. It's like, mm-hmm. who's screening for who? Where's now? Kaysen Wallace is in the dunker spot. Like, what what's going on with all these perimeter guys? Now, they can't get a rebound on either end of the floor, right. which is the price for playing small. But Mark Dagnall, I think I had him second in coach of the year last year. Maybe third. There aren't many coaches that are doing more creative stuff on offense that than he is. He, it's he's and he's just kind of black box that nobody really knows much about nationally. If I could profile, if you if you gave me infinite access to any team's coach to write a profile, which will never happen with Oklahoma City, <laughs> I would choose Mark Dagnall, and yeah. the headline would be. Who in the hell is Mark Dagnall and how is this happening? Because yeah. he's really, really good. Yeah, his story is unbelievable. And I hope to tell it with him on my podcast, Down to Dunk, at some point. That is like a hope and prayer of mine is that I will get Mark Dagnall on the podcast on Down to Dunk to talk about his career because it is a one of the most unlikely NBA coaches ever. I mean, if you replay his life a hundred times, he's the coach once, probably. It's it is really astounding. And he is creative. And some of that is he's given the liberty to be creative because he has so many playmakers on the team. And that was something that even locally people were like, why are the Thunder drafting all these playmakers? Isn't there there's only one ball? How are we going to do this? Because they have so many playmakers and they have unselfish playmakers, they can do just about anything. They have these inverted pick and rolls. I saw them run a uh a Mitzich Chet pick and roll where Mitzich was the screener in the preseason. Yeah, sure. Why not? Which is just, I mean, what do you what do you even do with that? I think pe- the I think they're playing the Pistons. They were just so confused that the Thunder just easily scored. But the fact that they can have any of these guys handling, including Chet, who in transition is just a absolute monster, grabs the ball off the rim. He's not somebody that's just going to bring the ball up the court and dish it off. Like he can take it the distance, and he he is. We're just scratching the surface of what we know about Chet, but his grab and go ability is is real it's and it's very very fun i think back a lot to a conversation i had with somebody from the raptors when they traded for marcus soul the year they won the championship and i remember being a little mildly surprised by the trade because they had valanciunas who went out in the trade and they had Ibaka, so they had two centers just didn't feel like Mm -hmm. a position of weakness to me and this person said to me yeah but you got to understand like we need another guy who when it gets real nasty, the crowd's real loud and the defense is swirling around feisty against the best teams. Another guy who just makes good decisions every time and mm-hmm. makes them fast. And Jonas is yep. not that guy. And Mark is. And I thought about that in that Warriors game. We think about playmaking often is like, all right, like Luca playmaking, Trey playmaking, like guy gets the sure. ball up top, draws two really cool pass to the corner but in the muck of it sometimes playmaking is like chet catches the ball 16 feet from the rim on the baseline in like a weird spot floors in flux everyone's moving around and you got to make the next right pass and it could be a weird pass to like so and so at the foul line and like they have a bunch of guys who make that pass really really well 
Um, so here's my question for you. This is the big question, the one that I'm we're spitballing. Everyone in the league is spitballing. Got all these picks, million picks. You got Bertan's salary. Others, you can get up to twenty five million in in outgoing salary without touching anybody who's really playing real minutes at all. Mm-hmm. And and now the the rules for trades are broadened for teams that are under the tax. You know, yep. in terms of salary in and out. So all the analysis of the Thunder has focused, and what what are they going to do? And it's almost like there are too many choices. Like they just have infinite optionality. And I don't even know where to begin analyzing what the hell they should do. The answer may well just be nothing. Like they have, this yeah. could just be their core, keep it together and see what happens. But the the analysis is focused a lot on two polar opposite strategies. Strategy number one is, will you just trade core player X, probably giddy and like 9 million picks for a star? Can you just do it now? And poll number two is, well, you know, this is a thunder. They're obsessed with sustainability. It's a small market. Like down the line, are they going to be able to pay anybody? Probably going to be Harden 2.0 where they trade one of these guys down the line when we get to 26, 27, and they're all on big contracts, Chet, Giddy, Jalen, Shea, for future picks and like, you know, keep the cycle going. And I'm like, well, the, the Harden trade kind of still hovers over everything about this franchise. I'm not sure that they're going to make that kind of trade early ever again mm-hmm. like maybe they'll yeah. make it late but not early but in between those spaces is a gigantic canyon of possibilities including short-term upgrades that are not like the five picks in giddy for superstar x who's not really even available and you don't control those situations and mm-hmm. i just wonder as someone who knows this team intimately what do you think about those polls and and like if this team is this good it cracks open that discussion of like, is there a trade we can make this season that is a little smaller scale somehow fits our salary structure and our timeline? Cause we got to look ahead to 26, 27 when all those guys are going to be on, maybe all of them on max deals and plan accordingly. Is there something we can do to like beef up our bench a little bit? We might not even need to start our starting lineup is like plus 10 per hundred possessions. What what just what do you think of all these options? Is are, is this even the right way to frame it? I I think there are still a lot of questions to be answered about the roster and especially some of the back end guys. Like how good is Vasily Micic? Like is he gonna be an NBA player? Can you play him in the playoffs? Usman Jang, who's we, vanished recently. Usman Jang, who's playing with the blue. I mean, they expended three first round picks to get him. I don't think the expectations that he was going to play big minutes this season, but I think they want to figure that out. And to me, if you were going to make a trade, it would be for like a bigger forward that can defend and shoot. But that's kind of what they hope Jang can be. And so I think that where this is headed is perhaps we see another deal that looks a little bit like the Bertans deal, or that looks like the Dario Sharch deal at the trade deadline last year, where it's, Hey, this this is really for the pick, or this is really to turn one of our middling first round picks in the future into a much better first round pick in the future kind of trade. And then we get a player back. We just so happen to get somebody back and we deal Bertans and Poku and then, you know, call it a day. Like I can see that happening, but I don't really foresee them looking at the market and saying, like, who can we add here? I think they need to play a playoff series before they can really know that. I think they need to know exactly what they have through a playoff series, maybe they, you know, get swept in the first round or something. And it's like, oh, this, the glaring need is X. 
and they need to we can go we have the first round picks we have the young players we have whatever we need to go get that i think if this team does win 50 games and it's mostly with this group they're they can make then i think you can feel comfortable making a deal next summer or before the season or even in the season next year but i would be floored if they made a deal like for og ananobi or somebody like that during the season although they could that's the kind of player that i would circle big forward they need a a big forward to play next to chet that can shoot the ball that can defend some of the best perimeter guys and then you just let chet shay jdub cook now if you aim high like that and acquire a player of that caliber, he's on my list, but I'm going to explain like you. I, I don't see that one. Oh, well, who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. again, who knows? Anything could happen. Yeah. If you just just if you got that player who comes off the bench. If if like Josh Giddy is not in the deal, it's probably Josh Giddy. OK, that answers question number one, because like I said, their starting lineup is pretty damn good. And like Dort. Yeah, Dort is probably the quote unquote worst of their five starters or but but he's the kind yeah. of guy like PJ Tucker who you kind of have to start because the point of him is guard the best guy on the other team who starts and plays a ton of minutes. Yep. Um, yep. To your point on the playoffs, that is something I have heard trickling out of there is like the playoffs are different than a regular season. Mm-hmm. We got to get there first and like, you know, we might not be quite as good as our record. We'll we'll see, right? We got to learn. And we'll learn about the shortcomings of our roster, whatever they are, more about them in a playoff setting. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Sam Presti, we should mention at his preseason press conference, um, hit the brakes pretty hard on the idea oh, yeah. that they're going to trade for a star. That said, oh yeah. So here, here are three types of. Let's have some fun. You mentioned okay. Ananobi. There are three types of trades they can make. Well, there are more than that, but just let's take these three categories. Mm-hmm. One. And they can outbid anybody with draft equity. Like that's part yeah. of the luxury of this is like, okay, Easy. like we got we got so much stuff. Number one, mm-hmm. you can trade some picks and salary for an expiring contract that you kind of think is likely to walk and or don't care if they resign because it's just not going to fit salary wise, years wise. That seems very unlikely to me that they would do that because they they that's just not the thunder way to burn assets that short term. Yeah, asset management is crucial to everything they do. They want to squeeze every ounce out of every asset possible. I mean, that if you look at like what they did with Carmelo Anthony, so many people are like, oh, just wave Carmelo Anthony. Just get him out of there. Like he just needs to be gone. Here's the best way to do it. Like, no, they traded him for Dennis Schroeder. And then they traded Schroeder for another first round pick that eventually became Al Horford. And then I mean they they just keep it going. Like they're not going to let something just expire, especially a a meaningful piece. Not their way. Trade number two is trade picks and salary for an expiring contract connected to a player you think would resign and can resign on terms that make sense to you. So mm-hmm. that's where Ananobi would come in, except Ananobi is going to want like four years, gigantic yeah. amount of money. Which isn't necessarily a deal breaker because you have this cushion until 26, 27 when all these guys are getting paid. And if you decide you get a guy that good and you decide, well, he's more important to us than Josh Giddy or Jalen Williams, which seems unlikely to me, but whoever, then you can trade the other guy if you don't trade that guy to get this person in the first place. However, the ideal candidate is someone who like, okay, I can resign this guy on a short deal that that yeah. gets out of our books before the bill comes due in 26, 27. 
So are you willing to take a one plus one, a two plus one, something like that? That guy's harder to find. Boyan Bogdanovich was my favorite candidate for that kind of trade. Shooting, mm-hmm. shooting, shooting. Now this team leads the league in three-point shooting. Maybe they don't need any shooting, but big forward, a little older, a little more um, uh, deliberate than the <laughs> Thunder style. Don't love it. Uh, anyone else come to mind for you that fits that bill? Honestly, there's not anybody that comes to mind. I also just wonder about Isaiah Joe, who's got an expiring deal after next season. Like, can they even keep him? Or like, he's going to come on the list of like players that need 18 million yeah, or mid-level, 20 million at the minimum. Yeah, and so I just I don't have a lot on my mind because I haven't really I can't dig in because I just don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to throw two. Like, na- just, I'm going to throw two names at you because throw me some names. You're throwing Zach. cold water on my face, and that's I, fine. I, yes, this this is a, I'm a wet blanket. So I've been called of, that many it's, times. It's part of my job where if I'm going to do this, I'm actually going to go through the exercise of it. So then I just okay. find tried to find the dream player, the okay. player who is a big forward uh-huh. on a contract that fits either salary wise or this timetable where I want it either ticked off or ticking off by 26, 27, a guy who can help us right now because we are good enough to justify trying to win everything right now. Every chance you get is precious. We've already learned that lesson. We don't need to revisit that every year. You're never guaranteed another trip to whatever (laughs) we all know. Yep. And could be available for an outlay of draft picks that is not outrageous. Does PJ Washington do anything for you? Ooh, I like PJ Washington. Is he is he a, a tweener in the wrong way though? Like, can he is he going to be somebody that you can really feel comfortable next to Chet? Like big minutes? Like I don't know. See that much better than Kenrich Williams. And but by the way, these are guys that I'm aiming at. Like maybe they come off the bench. Maybe we don't mess with the yeah. starting lineup. So PJ Washington yeah. came off the bench last night for Charlotte for the first time this season. Mm-hmm. This is a name that I mean, again, it's hard to find this player who checks this box. It's it's hard. Yeah. Um, a player whose salary extends to 26-27, but declines and expires that season. Keldon Johnson. Uh, I I just don't know that he fits the way the Thunder play. He does drive a lot. Know he drives a lot. He he does drive a lot. I I wonder how comfortable he would be coming to the Thunder, especially on a deal that's going to expire and say, hey, Keldon Johnson, you're going to play a much smaller role here with the Thunder. Are you comfortable taking seven shots a game? Well, he's under contract for four more years, so he doesn't have to worry about his money. Yeah, that's you true. you got to worry about I, money. Yeah, I, that, that's a no for me, Keldon Johnson. Then I, this goes back to like, I went through the exercise. I went through all 30 teams, 2,900 teams. Yeah. And it and it just leads me it led me to the conclusion that you started with, which is I think the the most likely scenario is they more or less stand pat in terms of their mm-hmm. core rotation. Just look, let's see what we got. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe this by itself is our team in five years. And by the way, maybe with Giddy and J Dub on and Chet, even if they all get maxes, they all get the post the twenty five percent max, and maybe yep. the cap spike comes and continues in a way that it's actually feasible for us to have those three plus Shea on the roster for at least a few years. Maybe that happens too, but this yeah. team, I mean, you have it. go ahead. I was going to say they have, ex- you have expansion coming. You have potentially a new arena in Oklahoma city. You have the new TV deal. So like there are different revenue streams that are going to come in at a pretty good timing for the thunder and this group. 
So so there is a good chance that they put they give all those guys maxes, feel comfortable for a few year stretch paying those guys. And I, and I think you're right. Like they're they're not going to make the hard mistake again. I think if you could go back and redo everything, maybe you still trade him, but maybe you wait a year. Maybe you give it another year. Maybe you let yourself have one more run and then you make the deal. So I I can foresee them just standing pat with this group and trying to move forward. Um but you know what? This is the this is the cushy time for the Thunder. Like this is the fun part. Like this is the absolute fun part for the fan base, for the front office, for the team. Uh we all know that it doesn't last for everybody. Like it's going to rain on the Thunder franchise at some point. Like it's coming and I don't think that they're unprepared for it. I think that they're ready. I think they're more ready than they were last time. But that win in Golden State in overtime in, in a game that the Warriors were desperate to get. They yeah. finally ended their losing streak at home last night against the Rockets, who we're going to talk about in a minute. That was one of those wins that you just in Sharpie write down like, okay, this is a real team. It's like, yeah, I, 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 I talk about this all the time. Sacramento winning game six in Golden State last year stamped them as like, all right, this is a real team. This team's got guts. Yep. It's got it's got courage. It's got poise. It's a real it's a real team. This mm-hmm. wasn't a playoff game, but like that was a oh boy. And I don't look, Chet. I hope they. I hope the. I hope the nasty and the trash talk never gets like thundered out of Chet Holmgren. Like I yeah. like I love that he went on Wembenyama when at Wembenyama's offensive foul on Twitter in the preseason. Remember that? And I Oh yeah. I love that um the slow-mo replays of him after hitting that three in Golden State caught him saying some choice words with a very mean face. <laughs> I love every bit of it. Every team needs a little bit of that. And although the other guys aren't as verbal and don't have as much gusto with it, there is a nastiness to this team that I really oh, like. Yeah. The physicality of Dort and Jalen Williams. Shea plays with just such, and I mean this in a good way, such an arrogant bravado to his, like, I can get whatever I want, whenever I want, and I know it. Like, mm-hmm. any I, this team is absolutely for real. I'm going to be wrong saying that they were a 44, 43, 45, 46 win team. They're going to be better than that. Before we move around some of these other young teams real quickly, is there anything you wanted to hit about this team that we didn't hit? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that maybe there were some lingering questions about who Shea is, but he's shown up and has averaged basically 30 points a game this season. And he's not getting to the free throw line. He's doing it a little bit differently than he did last year. He's shooting six and a half free throws per game. He is just murdering in the mid-range and is getting whatever he wants whenever he wants and adding Chet has just helped that tremendously. Chet has, so. Shea has entered the rare category of players that um, my wife will knock on my office door, be like, "Why are you laughing so hard?" <laughs> like Jokic, it's like the Jokic group where it's like, and <laughs> and I'm like, hey, Shea just did this like this thing in the mid range that was just like comical, like just straight up like what. The- are you supposed to do about that? Like a whole lot of nothing. So he's in the he's in the Jokic group. Okay, can we go around the horn on three young teams? I mentioned this changing of the guard kind of thing that's happening. I did the Pacers a couple weeks ago, so we'll leave them aside. Tyrese Halliburton is just unbelievable. Oof. In the amount yeah. of Tyrese Halliburton regret pinging around the top 11 in that draft is growing deeper and deeper and deeper, especially with every uh, pouty Chicago Bulls 
loss. Ooh. Um, oh boy. Yeah, the Pat. I've, I've been on Pat Williams Island for four years, and I've watched all the residents around me hop on planes to other other archi- archipelagi archipelagos, whatever. Mm-hmm. The- okay. Um, the other team I mentioned that people constantly bring up is like keep an eye on this team. It's not Oklahoma City in terms of draft equity. They've already used a lot of the equity they got in trades, but something's cooking there. The Orlando Magic are eight and five. They have the number one defense in the entire NBA. They have under Jamal Mosley um, sort of become like very quietly this bully ball team. They're first in free throw rate, first in number of shots at the rim. And there's nothing in their defensive metrics that suggests that there's a lot of luck happening there. Now they can't shoot on offense at all. They're 25th in offense, um, but they've got Franz and they've got Paulo. And then it's sort of like everyone's kind of waiting to see, like, is there another move to be made? When is that other move going to be made? Uh, what are all these guards amounting to? No, I, I'm officially in on Jalen Suggs. I'm in. I want him on my team. Yeah. I know his shooting has been a struggle. 34% on threes, 47% on twos. I want him on my team. The guy's a winner. I'm keeping him. I, the shot creation just kind of hasn't been there. The defense is legit. Do you believe in the Oklahoma in the Orlando Magic? I do. I I think that they just need to figure out how to play 48-minute games. They've been the best first-half team in the NBA so far this season. Uh, I'd said this on the Athletic NBA show on Slam & Jam on Friday, but they were first in defense, third in offense in the first half. And the second half, 30th in offense, 16th in defense, 29th in net rating in the second half. So if they can figure out how to close games and kind of keep what they have going on in the first half going... And a lot of it's shooting. Like the shooting just falls off like crazy. And then when the shooting falls off, the effort falls off a little bit. Once they figure that out, and this is kind of young team stuff, you know, play great in one particular quarter, play terrible in another particular quarter. That this is that's the hallmark of a young team. You know, Paolo is still 21. Franz is 22. You know, Jalen Suggs is 22. Anthony Black, who's starting to play a little bit more, is 20, who I, who I think could play a huge role for them moving forward. Um, he's taking a little bit of threes. I would like to see him take a little bit more, test that out a little bit, but he's not billed as some shooter or anything. But the shooting is going to be the thing that, that they need the most. And the Joe Ingles experiment hasn't worked out so well so far. They need to find some shooting. Like, that's that's really what they need. But they're on their way. I mean, I think that they've got some really high-level young players. It's going to take a little bit more time, but, boy, I like what the Magic are building. Your point about shooting there, 27th in three-point shooting, 30th out of 30 in mid-range shooting, and 20th at the rim. In total, if an average team had their shot selection, like where the shots come from on the court, they would be number one in effective field goal percentage. The Magic are 27th in effective field goal percentage. Both Franz and Paolo are shooting poorly, and the guards are just kind of a mystery box. Now, Fultz has been hurt um, for a few games. I think something is happening here. Like the toughness and physicality that they play with, they're an incredible rebounding team too. I mentioned the bully ball stuff. They're sixth in offensive rebounding and sixth in defensive rebounding. They foul a lot, which is fine because they get to the line even more than they allow free throws. Their offense just isn't good um, because they can't shoot. I don't know what the next move is for them. Um, you know, if they're going to be a winning team like this, they may just kind of punt it until 
the offseason and, and going forward and just sort of see what they have in some of like we haven't seen Jed Howard at all. Um, yeah. And that and that can be fine for a, if this team is going to be a winning team. And I think the defense is legit. I mentioned them as a, um, you know, in my theoretical list of teams who make some sense for the disgruntled Zach Levine, who has taken 19 mm-hmm. shots in the Bulls last two games. Um, mm mm-hmm. I mentioned the magic as just sort of generally the need for shot creation, shooting, um, and the fact that they could put him in a third option kind of role where I think he belongs. I'm not going to be a labor this. I did a whole Levine thing last week. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, I just, I, I don't think that's the one for me if I'm Orlando. It doesn't fit everything that I'm doing. The outlay of picks to get him may not be that big, but I just particularly because they could have like $60 million in cap space this summer, depending on what they do with some of these options on Isaac and, and other things. Isaac's been good, by the way, their net rating with Isaac is yeah. plus 10 per hundred possessions. He just doesn't play there. Mm-hmm. I just like, mm-hmm. that's not the one I'm going to live to fight another day on that one. But I, this is something fun is happening in Orlando. Yeah. And I, I just would love to see more shot creation development from Paolo and, and Franz. Like those are those are your guys. Like you have to let them cook. You don't. I wouldn't want to bring in somebody that's going to take twenty shots a game from from this pool of shots. I'd rather put in more complimentary guys that can just shoot the basketball. And it's not always easy to find. But if they can find a few of those guys, and just put them around. Maybe it's maybe it's Caleb Houston who can shoot it a little bit. Jet Howard. Maybe they give those guys a shot here. But I don't know. I like what they're doing. I think they're on a they're on a fine track. Don't. Don't do anything, Magic. Just stay the course. Rapid fire, a couple more teams that I haven't talked that much about that are in this category. This team's a little ahead and proven. I just want to hit the Kings, who have had a weird season because Fox has missed a few games. They are uh, eight and four, I believe. No, eight and Mm -hmm. five. Sorry, eight and five. They got the doors blowing off them in New Orleans last night. But they are six and two with De'Aaron Fox, plus six per 100 possessions with him on the floor. Um, I, I was high on the Kings coming into the season. I think their over under was 44 and a half. I was like over, over, over. They proved something to me. They have continuity. That warrior series really showed me something. I still feel pretty good about that, particularly the record with Fox. Um, their defense has actually been kind of okay so far this season. Um, teams are still shooting like gangbusters at the rim and on threes and, it's the second year in a row that's happened. That just may be the Kings. It's just like we know mm-hmm. Sabonis as a rim protector isn't scaring anybody. And the thing about the Kings on the wing is they're not very big. And so the shot contest, you hear this from some of their coaches, like maybe it's just our size. Like we can't contest shots that yeah. well. But I think this is a legit good team. And Fox is just he's averaging 30 a game and he's he's a guy like he's just he's he's not quite Shea, but he's really, really good and can get his shot wherever he wants. What interests you about the Kings? Well, they're just not even shooting the ball that well yet. And they're going to. Like, that's that's on its way. I mean, Keegan Murray hasn't shot the ball well yet. And you can still, like, you can see the improvements that he's made as a player. Like, overall, as a player, he's improved. His shot isn't falling yet. He's taking seven threes a game. I love that. Keep taking seven threes a game, Keegan Murray, because that shot's going to fall at some point. He's at 28% from three. Once that rises, that's going to help the team so much. Kevin Herter started to shoot a little bit better, too. I just think they're fast as lightning. They make quick decisions. Sabonis has been awesome so far this season. 2012 and 7 Ooh. for Domas, shooting 62% from the field. Former Thunder a, power forward, Domantas Sabonis. 
former stretch four for the Thunder. Uh, he, but he's he's been impressive. I just think the shooting is going to come. It's going to happen. They're going to have a few weeks where they're just going to be lights out, and that offensive rating is going to rise. The three point percentage is going to rise. Uh, they are who they are. Is this a team that can make it far in the playoffs? It doesn't feel like it, just because when things slow down, like like you said, the defense is just not going to be there. But for the regular season, like this team is awesome. And if you don't make the playoffs for 16 years in a row, and this is the team that you get, you should be so happy. Light the beam. Like this is good. I think they can do damage in the playoffs. I okay. think they would have beaten the Warriors last year had De'Aaron mm-hmm. Fox not broken the tip of the Zindex finger on his shooting hand in game yeah. four, I believe, of that series. Yeah. I think they win that series. Now, if not, that they still like to take it to seven and require a Steph 50 burger. Everything's a burger these days. 50 burger <laughs> in game seven. Like that was a solid showing for them. You mentioned when things slow down. The thing about the Kings that I love is they don't slow down. Like they don't believe in this, like the game changes in the true. Like, we're going to just do our stuff. And the best thing about Sabonis, not the best, but one of the best things is he's an incredible rebounder. They are yep. second in defensive rebounding, which is critical for them because all of that turns into like Fox just hit a layup. Like just immediately, mm-hmm. just immediately like, oh, there goes Darren Fox. Beep, beep. Can't do anything to stop him. Um, this team, I have no hard reporting on this. I said it before the season. I would just watch the Kings on the trade market. They owe one pick to Atlanta via the Herder deal, and that's it. And that's that expires fairly soon. It's not one of those things that encumbers them forever. And when people ask me about the Kings, how far can they? We, we talk about it on NBA Today quite a bit. Like, how far can they? What are the Kings really? How far can they? Like, when they blew the Lakers out last week, it spawned this, like, what is this team? And I said, I think they're a good team. Can win around in the playoffs. Maybe if the matchups break right or you're healthy, as they always seem to be. Uh, maybe maybe two if you got real lucky. I just don't think a- apologies to all these players who are all fine players. I don't think you can be a serious, serious, capital S, serious team if you're starting two, three, and four are Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, who's going to be very good, but is young, yeah. and Harrison Barnes. I just don't think that's good enough on just a raw talent level. And... I think this team is eager to be good enough. I think they have the ammo to get in on some of these discussions. I mentioned them as a Levine possibility. Don't love it because I just don't know that there's any roadmap to like a top 20 defense built around Fox, Levine, and Sabonis. Offensively, that's the right role for him. Third option, cut, finish, shoot threes, run in transition, perfect fit offensively. So in that sense, I could see it. Like, let's just be number one in offense and number 20 in defense and see where it gets us. Um, they have the salary to do it starting January 15, I think. Don't don't love it again. I just depending on the prices, don't don't love it defensively, but I think they're gonna again. I have no hard reporting. This is just common sense. And 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 I think they're gonna be an active just sniffing around in the next six to six to eighteen months for like another piece next to Fox and Sabonis. Yeah, and they're trying stuff with the bench. I mean, they traded for Chris Duarte. Starting to use him. He's played a little bit better recently, but has not played great out of the gate. Uh, I, I'm kind of a Keon Ellis guy. I kind of liked him in the draft. I think that he can do a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think they they could use some bench help he, for sure. He's briefly supplanted Davion Mitchell in their rotation earlier mm-hmm. this week. That's something mm-hmm. to monitor. Like if if Davion Mitchell just turns into a whiff, that yeah. that is kind of a bummer. 
because uh, defensively yeah. he's just unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. I just I like their team. I think they're good as is. It just depends on how like their appetite for it. Like they can just keep this team be really good, play in playoffs depending on health in the West, and like everyone's happy. Like you said, just like everyone's psyched. Um, how long are they willing to be in that spot? Uh, last yeah. team, the Houston Rockets. Talked a lot about them when they were six and two or whatever they were. They are now six and six, zero oh and five on the road. Um, lost to the Warriors last night in Golden State. Congrats to the Warriors. They really needed that one. Uh, I am all warriored out discussion wise. Um, that tends to happen when there's a Draymond thing, and there was a obviously a Draymond thing. Um, the Rockets. What to make of the Rockets, who are seventeenth in offense, sixth in defense. Somehow, mm-hmm. despite fouling the hell out of everybody, people aren't getting to the rim against them. They get every rebound. Shengun has been incredible. Shengun might make the All Star team this year, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah. Van Vliet, thirty eight percent overall, forty one percent on twos. That's the Van Vliet experience. He just doesn't shoot well on twos. Jalen Green is off to a slow start. Their bench is is not. It's not going great. Backup center is like a black hole. The Jock Landell thing hasn't worked out. You know, look. To me, this is all just fun times for the Rockets. It doesn't feel like that because they spent so much on Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and tried to get Brooke Lopez, and and I think thankfully for them, failed. Um, yep. What do you make? What do you make of this team? Is do you believe that this as as a fan of a team uh, that owns their pick, Houston's pick, top four protected, which I said in the preseason, it's a sneaky valuable pick, um, could be a top ten pick. What what do you make of this team? It's been a weird start. I mean, Shengun's for real. It's like the kind of the first thing that I make of it. He's a star. It's like he can just, is a star. Offense can player. just he, Yep. He can he play around the hoop just as well as just about anybody. He rebounds. Incredible passer. He's really good. I mean, Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks are are filling their roles for them. They're playing Jeff Green, you know, a good amount. At just a five. little disappointed. Backup five, Jeff Green and Jay Sean Tate are kind of like co-backup centers. Yeah. It's like not necessarily the way it was planned. Yeah, doesn't seem like it. I'm I'm a a little disappointed that and and you what you want out of this is for Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks to accentuate the young guys and for them to rise up and to be the guys that actually take your team somewhere. And Shangun has done that. Uh, Jalen Green has had a disappointing start. They can't play him in some spots. Defensively, he's a mess. Uh, he loves to create one-on-one, and he's pretty good at it, but that he's still a work in progress. Jabari Smith Jr. has had a much lesser role because he kind of occupies some of the same stuff that like Dylan Brooks would do and these other guys. So I, I don't like it for that because I do think Jabari Smith can be a very good NBA player. I think he still will be, but the fact that he's not really getting the chance to shine, I don't love that. But, I mean, they're going to have a chance to make the play-in like they're they're going to be competitive. I mean, they've lost three games in a row, but they were all super competitive to good teams. Again, good teams uh, that really like really needed to win those games. Yeah, I mean the Clippers. I mean, who needed to win more than the Clippers did? Uh, lost to the Lakers by one, and then Golden State, who was also desperate on this like big skid, and they just could not lose to the Houston Rockets. So I give them a lot of credit. I I think that they have a ways to go. But so far, like the returns are good. They play really hard. And that's that's honestly what you want to see. After we watched the Rockets over the last few years, where they're a mess, they're not playing hard, they just can't win games. 
the fact that they're playing hard and they have some organization around Shangun is a great sign for them. All last year, I was saying the lowest hanging fruit on this team is will you just give Shangun the goddamn ball? Just give him the yeah. ball, let him run the offense through the elbows, post him up. Like, and they've done, despite getting two high usage ball handling guards and Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, who likes to shoot, mm-hmm. um, they've done that and it's worked. I'm still all in on Jabari Smith Jr. 12.6 points a game, seven rebounds, um, only shooting 34% on threes, but 60% on twos. I just think he's a winner. I, I like the way he defends across every position. I'd like to see a little more of him of, at backup five just to see more of how it looks. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm I I love him. Shangun's awesome. Jalen Green, I mean, he's the biggest wild card maybe in the entire league over the next three yeah. or four years. Um, I don't I still don't have a good feel for like sixth in defense feels like I not even sure how that's happening. Um Shangun, to his credit, has been way better on that end of the floor. Mm-hmm. They are getting uh, their opponents are shooting 33% on threes, which I think is the third lowest in the league. So they're getting a little, little lucky in that sense, but they're doing a lot of things, right? Um, I didn't think they'd be that close to 500, honestly, before the season. I, I thought like 30 wins. Like I thought they were just going to be kind of a bad team, which would be good for the thunder. If you asked me to guess their win total now that they're six and six and looking pretty solid, I think I would still guess like 34 to 36. Like, I, I yeah. you know, but, but I may be just overly pessimistic. I just, I kind of want to see more. Yeah. There, there's been teams that are under, underperformed in the West, and these, these teams will get better. The West is still going to be just ridiculous by the end of the season. I mean, the Clippers are going to be better than they have been, and they've started to pick it up a little bit. I think the Warriors will hit a stride at some point. The Pelicans have been uh, the team that I have some of the most questions about because I don't really have a feel for what they are, and some of that may just be Zion up and down. Phoenix hasn't been healthy. There's a lot of factors here, but when you look at it, like, is Memphis going to get it together? Are the Jazz just going to be a lottery team? Seems like it. Yep. Trailblazers are terrible. Spurs are not good. Like who? Like who's going to be out? I I would be floored if it were the Clippers that were completely out of it, which the Thunder own their pick too. But which of these teams is going to fall out? Did the Thunder own it, the Intuit Dome? Was that was that part of the trade? <laughs> it feels like it sometimes, but it does feel like Houston's the team that's most likely to be eleventh out of this group. But the the way that they have played under Ime Udoka so far, I wouldn't be shocked if they were in and we saw New Orleans or a team like that on the outside looking. Well, at. so I guess this is a good a good way to frame it. I think they're better than Utah, who I was low on before the season. Mm-hmm. Memphis is just kind of like, how deep does the hole get before yeah. Morant comes back? It's it's hard mm-hmm. to, I mean, if if they just go on a random three game winning streak right now, they're six and ten. Like they'll they won't be like the Warriors are tenth and they're under five hundred. Mm-hmm. Portland's out, San Antonio's out. Like I'm confident Houston is definitely better than Utah, Portland, and San Antonio. That's obvious. Memphis currently yep. yes. So yeah, maybe eleventh is the floor. Maybe for Houston, it just the win total is is TBD, but 11th in the West, I think is officially their floor. They have separated themselves from those other teams, which hasn't been difficult with Portland and San Antonio, but they're, if Utah it is, and Mm -hmm. they're pretty good And Phoenix. Like we just keep waiting to figure out, like, how do we even talk about Phoenix? Like I just don't in new Orleans is a city like new Orleans. I can't even every new Orleans game. I watch like, Oh, that guy's in street clothes. 
Oh, what happened to yeah. Larry Nance? Larry Nance is mm-hmm. out tonight. Oh, Herb's back. Herb Jones is back. Just blocked a shot and and went out for a dunk. And oh, Jordan Hawkins is taking 19 shots tonight. Okay. Um, I like Naj- Jordan Hawkins. Najee Marshall's back. I don't know. <laughs> Jose Alvarado came back last night and got a huge he did from the crowd. That was an awesome, yep. awesome moment. Um, those are the two teams where I'm just like, I guess I just got to wait like 10 more games. Like, kind of credit to mm-hmm. New Orleans for being seven and seven. Oh, Despite yeah. Despite all this, Phoenix, I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, I guess we'll see. I don't know. Andrew Schlecht, uh, what else can we talk about? We got the Slam and Jam. We got Down to Dunk. We got Athletic NBA Podcast. We got, what else we got? Yeah, that's about it. I, I do another Patreon show called the OKC Dream Team. Um, so you can find that on patreon.com. But yeah, Down to Dunk is the the place where you can find my Thunder coverage. And then the Athletic NBA show on Fridays, we do the Slam and Jam. Uh, we just got Josh Hustis, who is from uh played for the thunder he's on our monday show with zach harper and jay king very fun show very fun show josh eustace was famously what was he was like he was the, the first de- round and sent to the g league was that he was the first yes. one that happened to yep picked in the in the late first round sent to the g league for a year and then played for the team uh brilliant guy really funny guy so yeah he's joined our network and he's he's a joy he's a delight you never know what the thunder are up to they're always up to there's always up to something. There's always something something around the corner, you know, and it's just all right. Well, all things thunder and general NBA. Andrew Schlecht, you're one of the very best. Thank you for your time. I owe you a podcast appearance on a, I guess, one of your many podcasts of your choice. Please ask me anytime. And uh, everyone should listen to all his stuff. Maybe I'll see you in Oklahoma City this year. Who knows? Hey. That'd be great. All right. Thanks, buddy. Love that. Thanks, Zach.